the Kings go into OKC and comfortably dispatch the Oklahoma City Thunder in what I would deem a professional victory where they didn't blow them out, but they got the job done. The Thunder are a young, scrappy team who play good team defense, but without Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who was out in this game, it was never really a worry once it came down to crunch time, because once you're in that crunch time, you need your star and the Thunder, or without their star, and of course the Kings had their fourth quarter star, Trey Lyles, there coming up big in the fourth quarter. No, obviously, I mean De'Aaron Fox. And so that's why this game was never a worry, because the Kings were able to keep the lead throughout, uh, it might have been the whole game. Uh, I don't know if they ever trailed in this game. They came out pretty strong. They were knocking down threes. They were playing solid defense, uh, you know, albeit against the Oklahoma City Thunder team, who without Shea doesn't have much offense, and they were missing some pretty easy looks right around the rim. I feel like the Thunder just have a bunch of players where I don't really know what their role is. They just kind of throw out a bunch of guys, a lot of them, uh, you know, kind of wings, some bigger wings, some smaller wings, but I don't really know what their defined role is or if they have one, because obviously Shea has a defined role. You know, I would say a guy like Isaiah Joe has a defined role, but other guys like, does Josh Giddy even really have a defined role? Does Kenrich Williams, do the other two Williams, do any of the Williams have defined roles? You know, I'd say Lou Dort has his defined role, but I feel like the Thunder have so many guys that are kind of similar that they will eventually have to pick the ones that they want to go forward with because they have so many draft picks, right? They can't keep them all. So at some point you would think they'll package some of their guys up with draft picks and and make some trades because they have a lot of guys who are scrappy who can defend but not a lot of guys that can create offense and the kings did well defending them for three quarters the first quarter second quarter and third and fourth quarter but uh, the third quarter definitely was a bit messy the kings could never quite in the first half, get it past, you know, just above double digits. And then at one point in that third quarter, they had it up to a 15-point lead after two Keegan Murray threes, that De'Aaron Fox steal into the windmill dunk. But then Isaiah Joe was on fire, and they were leaving guys. They left uh, Waters open in the same exact spot two times in a row. He knocked down two threes. So the OKC started hitting threes because the Kings were uh, giving them open looks. But I didn't expect this game to be perfect from the Kings, and obviously the defense is never perfect. But like I said, I think you know the Kings did what they had to do, and, and that was good enough for this game. And it, in a way, it was even better than the game against Portland, even though they you know, won by... They didn't blow them out like they did the Trailblazers, but it was still... 
a similar game where the other team is without their star or multiple um, important players, and the Kings were able just to do what they needed to do, and they they always knew that they pretty much had it in the bag at the end. Looking at some individual performances, well, first, let's talk about the, the guy who got defensive player of the game, and that was G-Man. Gary Gerald, uh, who did his 3,000th Kings game on the radio, so that was pretty cool. They brought him in, gave him the defensive player of the game chain, and he was taking pictures with everyone, and I thought that was pretty cool to see. And all I was thinking was, because I was listening to it in the car, I was listening to G-Man, and all I, was, all I was thinking was, man, if only he didn't miss one game this year where he was sick, and then his 3,000th game would have been that crazy game against the Clippers. It was funny how Mike Brown told the media that the G-Man got uh, defensive player of the game. He was like, someone someone asked if, uh, I think Keegan got it. And he said, no, no, no. One of my staples is communication. And this guy's been, you know, a great communicator for 3,000 games. So I thought that was pretty cool. But speaking of Keegan Murray, the reason they asked was because he did play well defensively this game. Keegan Murray had a, a really good game, I thought. He went 7 for 15 from the field, 4 for 9 from 3, and played pretty good defense. Uh, he was had active hands, he had 3 steals, and was just staying in front of his guys. On the offensive end was really where we saw things that we hadn't seen before, and it was him, you know, we, we've seen every once in a while, in a game, he'll make one play, where he creates off the dribble or attacks the basket. But in this game there he just he kept going. He kept creating for himself in uh inside the three-point arc. And that is something that yeah, we just haven't seen that. And I it's very encouraging. You know, not everything was going down for him, but everything that he was doing you know, I want him to keep doing even if it's not always resulting in a basket because the only way that he's going to get uh, more comfortable creating for himself is if he just keeps doing it right keeps trying and a lot of what he did looked really good and he was getting good shots in the mid-range and he had two and ones so him just going harder to the basket and and finishing with power is something that we're seeing now Darren Fox continues to be incredible and he I think he got his seventh straight 30 point plus game he had 33 points eight assists two steals only two turnovers and he was he was making some pretty crazy mid-range shots and he also was feeling it from three early which is not actually a good thing because then he keeps taking threes and ended up going three for nine so not great but he did hit a dagger three to really end the game and he was hitting some pretty pretty tough shots and hitting nothing but net just making it look so easy and you know at the start of the season Sabonis I thought was clearly the best player on this team but Fox has taken that from him over the last uh, month or so Fox has clearly been the best player on this team and I think that that 
is how it needs to stay for this team to reach its peak potential because Sabonis isn't a guy that's going to get his own shot a lot. And in the NBA, you need a guy that is going to really create for himself and and do it in isolation a lot of times as well. Because you can see, I mean, the Kings were trying to get the ball to Sabonis a lot in this game because OKC doesn't really have big men or a big man. Uh, they don't have a center that can guard Sabonis, but they were doing a good job of denying him the ball and making the Kings really have to work to get it to him in the post. And then they were doubling and just clogging up passing lanes and keeping Sabonis off balance. So it was a bit of a struggle to get him in the post. Uh, but Sabonis was, you know, he had four turnovers, which is kind of what I was saying that they were clogging the passing lanes when he had the ball in the post, but he went six for eight, had 15 rebounds, had eight assists. So, you know, he was, he was fine in this game for sure. Herder struggled in this game, shooting the ball and only played 20 minutes and down the stretch, it was Malik Monk who was having a solid game and Trey Lyles taking over Kevin Herter's spot uh, just because Kevin Herter's been in a slump. And hopefully he can break out of that because he was getting a few open looks. But for this team, it's really not that big of a deal when he's in a slump because Malik Monk has picked it up from three-point range. He went four for five. So it's good to see him finally hitting threes because he's been at like 32% all season, which is not great, especially for him. And so to see him finally knocking those down is good. He was a little erratic uh, in his creation, had four turnovers and didn't uh, make any shots other than the three pointers. So you could see he was trying to attack and trying to use his speed, but OKC was doing a good job of shutting him down, and then he was sometimes making the wrong decisions. So kind of a mixed bag from Monk on this game. And then the last guy who had a really good game was Trey Lyles, who I mentioned you know earlier. He's the guy in the fourth quarter. He had a big fourth quarter, um, 16 points overall, and six rebounds, three assists, a steal, three for five from three, and he was attacking the rim and playmaking out of it at times, or just going to the rim, getting and ones, uh, and then obviously knocking down threes. And there was a point in, I think it was, I think it was the fourth quarter, where he kind of just let his guy go right by him, which was obviously not good. It was Kenrich Williams, and he just blew the layup. And then the Kings go right down the other end, and Trey Lyles hits a three. And then a few possessions later, he hits another three. So a big fourth quarter from him, big bench production from him. And the bench has picked it up, uh, obviously, since Malik Monk has really picked it up since that um, rough stretch in the middle of the season where we were getting pretty much nothing from the bench. One guy who I thought uh, kind of went in the opposite direction than we want is Chimezi Metu, who had been solid. Uh, at times, and other times, you know, he's kind of up and down, but 
he had been solid and obviously gave us great minutes in that Clippers game in overtime and had been solid in the games before that as well. But this game, he was not good at all. Rough defensively, just kind of getting caught reaching and or just not being attached to his guy how he should not rebounding uh, he he let another guy get an easy rebound off a missed free throw so i hope that doesn't become a trend because we've seen that multiple times i mean i've said it before i don't think he's a good rebounder and i wonder come playoff time does he get any minutes uh i mean it's hard for me to believe that Mike Brown can trust him in a playoff series where every play matters. Can you trust a guy like Chimezi Metu? I don't really think so. But obviously, it's going to be hard to play a guy like Trey Lyles at the five against certain matchups. So I guess we just hope that we don't go up against someone where we would need a bigger center. But I mean, Chimezi Metu isn't even... A big center, obviously, but when you go to Trey Lyles, then that's even smaller and and probably worse against a, a bigger player. But I have just so much more trust in Trey Lyles, even at the five, than, than Metu. I mean, it'll just be really interesting to see what the rotations are come playoff time, right? Because Terrence Davis has been solid, and, you know, he was okay in this game, was a little chaotic. But that's the thing. It's like, can you have that chaos in a playoff series? Uh, and I know Davion Mitchell will play, but when he's giving you nothing on offense, that's a bit rough. But I will say, I will say, Davion, he just he always makes the right play defensively. And we like watching him close out on shooters. He's never falling for pump fakes. You know, he's never the way he stops in an instant is like no other player. You know, I never thought I would just have so much enjoyment for watching a guy just come to a stop so quickly on a basketball court. There's just something about watching him stop that uh, it's fun to watch. But again, this was another game where he's passing up open shots, not attacking the rim as much as you want. You know, he attacked one time and got uh, got a, a layup. That was a goaltend. I just feel like the Kings, they have seven guys that you can clearly see in the rotation and that are going to be trustworthy come playoff time. And then you have, you know, the eighth guy is Davion Mitchell, who you're going to need for defensive matchups, but, you know, you don't love his offense. And then you have Metu and Davis who both are, you know, at times can make, have really poor decision-making and be chaotic. Terrence Davis could win you a quarter or a half in a playoff game, but he could also, you know, lose you uh, uh, a run. So maybe a guy like P.J. Dozier, who the Kings just uh, signed to for the rest of the season after releasing Casey Paula, maybe Mike Brown decides to give a guy like P.J. Dozier more minutes uh, to see for the rest of the season to see if he can be a guy who can come in and play good defense and just be a, a, a sound player. 
The last thing I want to mention about this game is just something kind of weird. A pet peeve of mine is when guys, a ball is kind of loose, you know, like like maybe the offensive player kind of loses it and he's going backwards, but they're just going to, you know, go back and grab it. And then the defensive player just starts like sprinting at the ball, clearly not going to get there, right? And it's just that kind of like you're, you're taught hustle, 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 get on the ground, hustle, right? But that's not always true. You have to be smart. And about three or four times in this game, there were Kings players where it's like they're, you're just clearly not going to get the ball. Or it's not even that they're trying to get the ball. But Josh Giddy kind of bobbles it back. And then the defender, I don't remember who it was, but just goes straight up to him and like kind of tries to crowd him. Like, this is my chance. He lost the ball. And then Josh Giddy just blows right by him. And it happens so much. Not just, not just the Kings. It happens so much to every team and every player, and it just confuses me why guys who have played basketball, who live and breathe basketball, don't understand to not do that. Because it happens so much, and it, it, it never is a good thing when you're lunging forward at a guy out of control they're just going to go right by you every time or you're going to commit a foul like Trey Lyles did late in in the fourth quarter at some point I think it was. Malik Monk did the same thing chasing a guy into the backcourt and that one didn't end up in a basket or a foul, but still if you just if you don't go sprinting down at the guy, you can keep him in the backcourt for longer and kill time, but if you just go sprinting at him and or trying to get the ball when he's clearly going to get the ball, he's just going to go right by you. And now you're playing five on four. It just, it's a pet peeve of mine. And oh, it annoys me. Anyways, we will move on to previewing the next game, which is against OKC again in, in OKC again. Uh, I have no idea if SGA will be playing. He's missed the last two games for the Thunder who are on the outside looking in of that play-in race, but they still have a chance. So I don't think they want to be sitting him uh, unless they, he really has to you know, sit because of an injury. So it'll be interesting to see if he plays because you know if he doesn't play, then you, you just try to do the exact same thing you did today. I mean, I don't really think there's anything you try to do differently. I don't think there's many big adjustments that needed to be made. It was a solid win where they kept it close, but got the job done pretty easily. If Shea's playing, I mean, it changes everything. Because there's not much you can do to defend him, right? He's an incredible player, averaging 30 points per game, and... He's going to get to the basket. He's going to get to the mid-range. But you can't leave shooters open. You can't leave guys like Isaiah Joe open and other guys like that. Because there are guys on this team that you can leave. right? They, they're not the best three-point shooting team. And so I think if SGA is playing, you just have to be smart on who you're helping off of. Because there will definitely 
need to be a lot of times where you need to help over and clog the pain against him to prevent him because he leads the league in drives. He's going to be constantly trying to get to the rim. The Kings are looking to go for the season sweep against the Thunder. They are 2-0 against them. Looking for this third game. They only play three games against them. If you look at the standings, the Kings are now on a three-game win streak. I've been looking at the standings all season, but I feel like now we really can look at the standings and and each game matters and it's getting down to it. So the Suns lost today, the Clippers lost today, the Mavs lost today. So those are the three teams that are right below the Kings in the standings. Uh, so that was great. Thank you to the Lakers, Bucks, and uh, Nuggets. There's now a three-game back, uh, three-game gap between the Kings and the Suns for third and fourth place, and the Kings are only one and a half back of second place Memphis Grizzlies. I think there's something to be said for the Kings' continuity and not making moves at the trade deadline because you know you see teams like the Clippers where you're integrating a bunch of new guys and you know you could see like Ty Lu after the last game admitted he's like yeah I should have played Terrence Mann more minutes and and like he's trying to figure out these rotations and obviously the Suns lost a bunch of guys and the Mavericks are trying to integrate Kyrie so I I really do think there's something to be said for the Kings continuity because even if it only takes a few games for these teams to figure out how to integrate certain guys, those games are matter because the standings are tight. Anyways, that is it for this episode of The Real Report. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. If you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, make sure to leave a rating and a re- review. And you can follow me on Twitter at underscore The Real Report, and I will see you guys next time to recap the next game against OKC. Peace.